Father God, into your hands we commit our lives. Into your, into your hands, Lord, we just commit just this time together. Lord, I pray that the words that I speak will not be mine, but be yours. And Father God, I pray just specifically for each high schooler here, Lord, they are not here by accident. Father God, you have them here for a reason and a purpose. And I pray that the eyes of their hearts would be opened to your word, that it would receive it with joy. And so, Lord, we just pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. So, yeah, I just want to say it's just been a joy to be able to just spend these last three months with you guys, to be able to talk with some of you guys. Um, I think what Pastor Eric mentioned was really true in the fact of, like, I can only imagine if I came here, like, the first week and you guys saw me and you guys were like, who is this person just talking to you guys? But it's been really cool that I've actually been able to get to know you guys, hang out at Disneyland, volleyball, um, make weird things, Ellis. Yeah. <laughs> so it's just been an honor, and an honor, and I just want to make sure that it is said to you guys that I, as well as the other lever, leaders here, love you guys dearly, and that we we want to pray with you and for you guys, and that we want you guys to be known. But more than anything else, guys, we want you to know the God that we know, and so. That's the reason why we come out on a Friday night. That's the reason why we spend our energy, our time, and our efforts on you, is so that you guys can know the God that we know. So if you guys would, turn with me to Psalm 16. As you guys are turning there, I just want to give you guys an idea, give you a little recap. As you guys know, we, we started this series called The Pilgrim's Song. <laughs> And we are going into our third sermon, and we're going to be looking at what some people call the golden psalm, Psalm 16. Last week, Pastor Eric talked on Psalm 8, and he asked the question, he said, do you know God personally? If you guys can remember, his main idea was that in order to, to praise God, we praise God's name because he reveals who he is and who we are. And we talked a little bit about this idea of who his name means and what it means for him and what it means for us. And so today we are going to be looking at another psalm from David. And we're going to see David's heart unfold before the Lord. And so as you guys are turning there, I hope you guys have reached there. I want you guys to think about this question. Who or what gives you security? Who or what gives you security? Now, I feel like a lot of you guys, you guys are going to internally be saying in your minds, well, it's Christ, duh, Jesus is the answer, Jesus is always the answer. And I hope that's the case. I know you know that's right. But I want you guys to think about this question a little more realistically. What are things you tend to find your, your security, your sense of safety in? What are your securities in this life? For some of you guys, it, it might be your parents. You have been blessed with a stable, a godly, sometimes very messy household, but one that shares the gospel with you, one that loves you guys well, one that is a beautiful picture of God's grace. For other, others of you guys, it might be your friends. 
though they might not be perfect, well, I hope they're not perfect, but though they might not be perfect, and, and sometimes they're not the nicest, they give you a sense of worth. And if you're not around them, you, you kind of question that. You kind of feel like a loss of security. And for me and for other of you guys, it might be your phones. I know for me, as an international student here, do any of you guys know where I'm from? I feel like I shared this briefly. So I'm from the Caribbean. The Caribbean is not California. It's very different. But I remember when I first got here in June, and I had just gotten a new phone right before I came back into America. And the moment I touched down into LAX, I turned on my phone and I realized my SIM card doesn't work. Now, I am freaking out because if any of you guys know, Without a SIM card, you can't call, you can't do anything. And I'm like here by myself. So like, I was freaking out and had no idea how I was gonna call the person that was supposed to pick me up, how I was gonna reach to my Airbnb. And thankfully, I was able to make it home and I'm still here today. And my phone has a, a, a big uh, a portion of why I'm here today, uh, mainly because of Google Maps. But the point of the matter is, is that this is just one of the many examples of how our phones and how any other thing can provide us a sense of safety and security. And so in Psalm 16, we have here King David, and he is reminding himself of God's goodness and that in God alone, he can find his safety and his security. We will also see in this Psalm a lot of the promises that David holds onto and what this psalm has to say about us as well. So with that, I'm going to start in verse 1. And it says this, Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones, in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. Their drink offerings I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen on me for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure, for you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. You made known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. And so, as we unpack the psalm, if there's one main thing that I want you guys to get out, so you see it in your notes, it is that we can find our eternal security in Christ. And we can find this in two ways. One, by knowing that he is our refuge. And two, by knowing that he is, sorry, that knowing that he is our refuge in life. And two, knowing that he is our hope in death. So we're going to look at the first point, And that is this, that, God is our refuge in life. Now, before I go any further, I just want to point out that this is going to be our longest point. Because if you look, it's verses 1 to 9. 
And if you look at the psalm, it's 11 verses. So it's going to be a big portion. So bear with me here. But as we open up the psalm, David opens up here with a confession, a confession for God to preserve him. And we see this in verse 1. It says, I'm going to just repeat it again. It says, preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. But preserve him from what? Now, during this time, David was currently being under threat by his enemies. It isn't sure, it isn't clear exactly who his enemies are during this time. It could be the surrounding nations. It could be even his son. We've seen that before. But regardless of who it is, we get a sense of imminent danger that is taking place within his life. And I hope none of you guys have people that are physically chasing after you and trying to kill you. And if so, let's talk after this. But you can only imagine for a second that there is a great deal of fear taking place here. His safety and his security is being threatened. Yet he points his attention to his God. And it's this personal Lord, capital L-O-R-D. If you guys remember a little bit from last week, Pastor Eric talked about it. And for those of you guys that, that weren't here, um, I just want to quickly recap. But before I do that, just look with me in verse 2. It says, I said, it says this, I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. So if you guys can pay like, specific uh, attention, you'll notice that there's a capital L-O-R-D. And then there's a capital L, lowercase O-R-D. And we're going to explain that. We're going to unpack that a little bit for some of you guys that just need a recap or they weren't here last week. And so the first Lord that we see here, all caps L-O-R-D, is God's personal name for the people of Israel. And we saw last week in Exodus 3, specifically verses 13 and 14, that God calls himself Yahweh. It is the divine and personal name. Say, Moses, about to go to Pharaoh back in Exodus, Exodus 3, he says, what is his name? Moses talking about when he goes to Pharaoh, what should he call God? And God says to them, to, to Moses, tell them, I am. Yahweh has sent me to you. As if, so imagine for a second. Guys, if you can call yourself I am, that's a big deal, right? If you can only say I am, and that's, that's your explanation, that's your name, that's a big deal. I, I hope no one has ever come up to you and said, nice to meet you, I am. And just leave it there, right? If he does, then he has a superiority complex and you should not be his friend. Like, simple. But God is saying here that his existence depend on anything or anyone. He simply is. And who he is is a personal God and personal Savior. The one who would hear his people's cry for help and who would deliver them from Pharaoh's hands. And we see that later on in, as Exodus unfolds. So if David is calling God by his name, all caps, L-O-R-D, he is acknowledging his God as the only true and living God, the personal God who would hear his cry and his call for Yahweh to preserve him. But I want to pay attention to the next Lord that we see, and that is the capital L, lowercase o-r-d. And this word simply means Lord. 
nor the rings, nor the flies, nor the fill in the blank. It's a title for a master. People who are kings, slave owners, etc. You guys can, can get the idea. It's a title. So why does David use this? Why, why, is it, why does he use these together? When David is saying, I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. David is essentially saying that God is the Lord of all lords, that he is the king of all kings. He understands that apart from God, he has no good thing. He acknowledges that God is a personal savior, but also a holy creator and master. Some of you guys, I just want to just explain something here, but some of you guys might land on two extremes. And I want to caution you. For some, God is just this, this big, mean grandpa that is waiting for you to sin so that he can beat you over the head with a hammer or a mallet. And I just want to let you guys know, God is not a rule freak waiting for you to mess up. He is a personal God who invites us to come as we are, mess and all, so that we can be cleansed. And on the other extreme, some of you guys may see God as this buddy and this pal that even when you sin, he's like, Shh, don't worry about it. Like, that's not a big of a deal. And I want to caution you guys that your sin is a big deal. And it, ha- and it cannot be taken lightly. Understand that the God that King David is mentioning here is a holy and just God, yet a personal and loving Father. And that we get the privilege of calling that today. So if you guys are still following with me, let's go back to verse 1. It is, and so I want you guys to understand, if God is as big of a deal, then surely it makes all the sense for us to find our refuge in him. So what does David do? What does David do? Or we see what David does here. And so before we can see what God can do for us, I want you guys to understand that we need to understand who God really is. So let me ask you guys this. Is God a moral therapist for you? Is he a God that just wants you to be nice all the time and do good things? Is this goal for you to just be happy in this life and to feel good about yourself? Or is, is God just a, a fire insurance? Is he somebody you can be like, well, you know, I'm saved. I'm saved from hell, so it's, I'm good. You know, since I'm saved by grace alone, I can do whatever I want. And I want to tell you guys, that's, that's not the case. And some of you guys, some of you guys are new here. And I don't know your background exactly. You've probably never heard of this God. Some of you guys might have a vague idea of who God is. My prayer is that you will see that the God of the Bible is a real and personal Savior, saving and rescuing real and personal people from sin and from death forever. I want you guys to get this. So let's move on and let's go into verses 3 and 4. And we, say, we see this. It says, As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones, in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. See, David is addressing two types of people here. He's talking about the righteous 
the saints and the excellent ones, and the wicked, those who run after another god or idols. Now, this is kind of weird because David suddenly goes from, Lord, preserve me, and then all of a sudden he's talking about people. He, it seems to be going on rabbit trails in this psalm. But one thing I want to suggest to you guys is that what David is actually showing us here is where his allegiance lies. Notice that he doesn't just mention these people, the wicked and the righteous, and leave it at that. No, he, he goes on to say how he reacts to these types of people. There is a love and a delight for the righteous. There is a sorrow and a disinterest for those who are wicked. In high schools, let me ask you this. Who do you associate with? Because who you associate with says much about who, what you desire and where you find security. And I'm happy for a lot of you guys because you guys choose to hang out with each other on a Friday night. But I challenge you guys, what does this look like on a Monday morning, on a Tuesday evening? What does this look like inside of school and outside of school? This will reveal where your allegiance lies. Do you delight in the Lord and the people of the Lord? Or do you delight in the people of darkness? Those who follow after false gods. See, once David acknowledges in verse 2 who God is, he sees the necessary connection between a true God and a true faith lived out. So, Moving on now to verse 5. David uses some strange analogies here. He says, The Lord is my chosen portion in my cup. You hold my lot. So he, he's comparing God to a portion, a cup, and a lot. What does this even mean? Right? And if you guys, I'm going to make you guys... Go around in your Bibles for a little bit. If you guys can go with me to Deuteronomy chapter 18. So that's the fifth book of the Bible. If you guys didn't know. Yeah. Deuteronomy 18. And so we're just going to look at the first two verses of Deuteronomy 18. And it says this. The Levitical priests, all the tribe of Levi, shall have no portion or inheritance with Israel. They shall eat the Lord's food offerings as their inheritance. They shall have no inheritance among their brothers. The Lord is their inheritance, as he promised them. In these verses, what we're seeing here is God's favor and provision over the priests and the Levites. And God promises to them what their inheritance should be or will be. And so what David is doing as we move into Psalm 16, he's acknowledging God's provision and inheritance. Not only is David aware that God is providing for his daily needs, but an even greater, a greater inheritance of God's promises, which is in himself, God himself. Carlos, if there's anything I want you guys to reflect on is this. God himself is the prize not the things he provides. God himself is the prize, not the things he provides. God has offered us an internal, an eternal inheritance through the provision of his son, to be with him forever, to be in his presence. 
Guys, does your daily life reflect this truth? If it doesn't, I want you guys to consider what is it that you actually believe? Is Jesus truly your Savior? Is he truly all you have, all you need, and all you really want? And I know it's going to take some time for that to actually happen. I'm not imagining that tomorrow you guys are going to wake up and be like, oh, I love Jesus with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. I don't expect that. But are you heading that direction? I remember for most of my life, believing I was a Christian. And I believed that, you know, I believed in God. I believed Christ died for me. But in truth, my life did not reflect that. It was just an idea that I had in my mind, just this concept. And it wasn't until I was 17 that I realized truly what God had done for me. That God gave himself up for me. All of himself. And that the only response that I should have was to receive this gift, this portion, this inheritance. And guys, now it is mine. And I want this for you guys. And the same thing that David has spoken about in this psalm, and that I am speaking about, and that Pastor Eric is speaking about, and what all the leaders here have shared about Christ. Guys, we want this for you as well. So does your life reflect this truth? It is because of these things that David can say in the following verses, the lions have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance, verse 6. He knows that beyond anything else in this life or anything else that this world can offer, he has the author of life. See, his right understanding of God guides his right worship of God. Guys, understand this. Right understand. Right understanding leads to right worship. But before you can have a right understanding, there must be a right counsel. This counsel that, that David is talking here is, is the counsel of God's word. See, he blesses the Lord because he knows that God is the one who gives him counsel. The word of God guides his very thought and his very life. And it should be our guides as well. It should guide our conscience. It should guide the way we, we think about a boy or a girl at school. It should guide our conscience as to how we seek out after lost friends who don't know Jesus. It should guide us as we consider the words we're going to say in a heated moment with our parents. And I know usually this happens after the fight, but still, you get the point. It should it should be our guide and our conscience when it comes to forgiving and reconciling with others because we know that we have been forgiven and reconciled by God. Guys, understand that if we are believers, we are guided by the Spirit of God to love the things that He loves. And He goes on in verse 7, He says, I bless the Lord who gives me counsel in the night also my heart instructs me. See, his heart is his fuel for worship. How many of you guys have ever put gas in a car before? So most of you guys, right? All right. Have you ever filled up a, a gas car with diesel? I hope not. And 
if you haven't yet, don't. Because it's not going to end up well for you or your car, right? But I want you guys to get what I'm saying here. Wrong fuel equals wrong worship. But right fuel equals right worship. So guys, what do you fuel your hearts with? Do you fuel yourselves with the words of the world, with the things that you see on Instagram? Or do you fill yourselves with the words of God? Let me take this even further. You guys can go ahead and you guys can listen to all the great worship music and you can listen to sermons all day, every day. Or you can hear sermons all day, every day. But my question is, are you actively listening? Are you actually like taking in what is being said in these worship songs, in these sermons? See, guys, whatever you fill your hearts with, that is what's going to instruct you for better or for worse. And I pray that you would allow your hearts to be captivated by the lover of your soul, the one who came to save you, the one who, in spite of the fact that we have totally disregarded him in his own creation, will look down on us in our sinful depravity and would invite us to delight in him. That you would live out these very next verses that David says in verse 8, I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. Because if he is at your right hand, guys, you will not be shaken. In darkness, in valley, during the sunshine and through the storm. That you will be able to trust the Lord not only in your health, but also, also in your sickness. Not only in your victories, but also in your failures and your struggles. Not only in your life, but also in your death. It would be foolish of me not to remind you guys that though some of you guys have not gone through any sickness, any pain, any, any death of a loved one, and I, 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 bear, I bear with you guys because I know this is not easy for some of you guys that have been through it, but for those that you haven't, it's, it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. And so, who are you, you trusting your lives to? Guys, if you are in Christ, you will not be shaken. And that is a promise. I've seen it in my life. I've seen it in the life of my, my loved ones. And, and you will too, if you are in Christ. That's why David in verse 9 can go on and he can say this, Therefore my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. Guys, are you seeing the connection here? This is such a beautiful psalm. I mean, what else is left? When God is your portion, when he is your inheritance, when you, have, when you are guided by the Spirit and by the Word, and you have set the Lord before you, that you will love and worship the Lord with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your strength, with all your soul. Like David, you will have completely given the Lord, yourself to the Lord. You know where your security stands. You know where your joy and your peace is found. You know where your eternal dwelling place is. And you know that you will not be shaken in this life. 
Guys, can this be said of you? And if you cannot say this, I want you to be aware of something. Can you see the emptiness that life brings you without Christ? Have you ever been, or have you, are you in a place where you are chasing things that will rot, that will pass away, that will destroy? I'm pretty sure a lot of you guys, no, all of you guys have gotten something new. And if you know that new thing is eventually going to become an old thing. Guys, in this life, things are temporary. Are you trying to fill a hole full of buckets? I'm just going to let you know it's not going to fill. See, what God is offering through his son in Christ is something so much more than what the world can offer us. So make sure your life is hidden in Christ. Make sure that you aren't just relating to God, but that you are delighting in your relationship with God. That you aren't just doing your devos, but that you are delighting in reading God's word. That you aren't just praying, but that you're delighting in talking with your Heavenly Father. That you're not just loving others, but that you are delighting in loving others regardless if they are going to love you back. Guys, understand this, however, that all of this does not come out of a confidence in our own self, in our own strength, but we can only do this if we are able um, to find a complete security in God. And that takes me finally to my second point, which is God is our hope in death. God is our hope in death. Look again at verse 10. David says this, For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, or let your Holy One see corruption. David understands that God is the one who will keep him, not just for now, but for all eternity. And David knows that he will not be forsaken. But if you guys notice there, there's this word, Sheol. What is David talking about here? Well, in the ancient days of Israel, Sheol was this idea of the afterlife. And the word literally means grave or pit. And it's often, it was oftentimes used by the Israelites, referred to a place like an unescapable region of death. It's a place where the body would decay. See, David was entrusting God to the one who would protect him from this place of death as he found joy in finding lasting pleasures in God's presence. So high schoolers, understand this. If you are in Christ, death will not have the final say. Physical or eternal death. Because Christ defeated death when he was stretched out on the cross for you. If our lives are hidden in Christ, there is great comfort in knowing that our souls will not be abandoned. So David's soul is secured. But then if you guys continue in that same verse, we get to what I find to be probably one of the most interesting passages in Scripture. And it says this, Or let your Holy One see corruption. This is the second part of verse 10. So, David isn't really referring to himself here, as we can see, because he says, your, your holy one see corruption. So David now is looking beyond himself 
and he's looking to God and he's making God the focus here. He knows that God is faithful and he knows that God is his security in his life and his death. And, and one commentator puts it this way, talking about verse 10. He says this, David would die as all believers before him had, but David knew that the covenant promises would not end there. That unbroken fellowship with the Lord extended beyond this life and that God would never allow death to be the end of his covenant. See, David knew that he was going to die. And he had a, a hope in God and the promises of God. That he knew that this life was, that he knew that his life would, would extend beyond just this physical one. And he also knew that this is his, uh, God's covenant promises of a future Messiah was not going to end in his death. That indeed God would bring about a Messiah, a holy one, that would in fact fulfill the covenant. And that Messiah, that holy one, we know is Jesus. Jesus is the one who would not see corruption, but instead raised from the dead three days later. Jesus is the one who fulfills this covenant. And this is why it matters to us, to you high schoolers. See, get this for a second. We have no security in a God whom we cannot trust. We have none. Why are we going to trust in somebody who fails? Right? But we have every reason to trust in a God who fulfills every covenant promise. He fulfilled what he promised back in Genesis 3, when he told Adam and Eve that there will come a person who will crush the head of the serpent. He fulfills what David says here in Psalm 16, that you, he will not let his Holy One see decay. Guys, he has proven to us his faithfulness in the past. He has proven to be true today. Don't we have every reason to trust Him with our eternity? In John chapter 11, verses 17 to 27, it's the story of Lazarus. I'm pretty sure a lot of you guys are familiar with the story. Lazarus is dead, and his sisters are grieving over his death. And we see Jesus entering into the scene here, and Jesus is talking to Martha. And Jesus says in verses 23 to 26. Let me jump over there real quick. But in John chapter 11, verses 23 to 26, Jesus says this, Your brother will rise again, talking to Martha. And Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection and on the last day. But Jesus says to her, I I'm the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. High schoolers, do you believe in this Jesus who, who has, is life? Guys, death is not the end of the story. It's not the end. But what if you do not trust in this Jesus that God has offered? And I'd hate to break it to you, but the truth is there is no hope 
none whatsoever. You are eternally separated from God, from his presence. And some of you guys may even hear these very words, and you're not even considering the deep, deep implication of these. And I want to lovingly caution you guys. Look at the very last verse in Psalm 16. It says this, You made known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. So, get this. If this is what it looks like to abide in Christ and trust in God with our death, then you can only imagine what the opposite of this is going to look like. So in, if he says, you make known to me the path of life, then without you, there's only the path of death. And if in his presence there is fullness of joy, then guys, outside of his presence, there's only torment and despair. And if he says that at his right hand are pleasures forevermore, then high schoolers, then apart from his right hand, there's only misery. And we will see sin for what it truly is, death. So guys, it is my prayer that you will not disregard what God's word is saying here. Apart from God, we are hopeless. In life and in death. God has made known to us the path of life. In his presence is fullness of joy. And at his right hand are pleasures forevermore, guys. So as we finish here, I just want to put our attention to one more text. And if you guys would turn with me to Acts chapter 2. And in Acts chapter 2, this is after Jesus' ascends into heaven and the promised Holy Spirit comes on to the disciples. And now Peter enters the scene and he preaches the first sermon to the men of Judea and to all who dwell in Jerusalem regarding the Christ. And if you guys can put your attention to verse 22, and I'll start there and it says this. This is Peter talking. He says, men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, losing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. And guess what? See, this is what Peter does in the next verses. He quotes Psalm 16. He, he, he shares what David is foreseeing of this time. And then if you guys continue into that same chapter in verse 29, he says, Peter says this, Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David, King David, that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us today being therefore a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would not see one of his descendants, on, that he would set, set one of his descendants on his throne. He foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of Christ, that he was not abandoned into Hades or Sheol, as we saw in Psalm 16, nor did his flesh see corruption. 
This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. And then if you jump to verse 36, it says this, Let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus, whom you crucified. See, David chose to believe in this. Yet, he didn't see Jesus come. He did not see with his own eyes the promised Messiah. He didn't see him come to earth, and he did not see God's redemptive plan unfold. But man, I can only imagine David now, as he is in the presence of his Savior, his offspring, the one that he spoke of in the psalm. We can only imagine that David's response would be one of complete surrender, complete trust. And guys, if you continue on in Acts chapter 2, we see the people's response as well. Take a look at verses 37 and 38, and we're going to close off here. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. They were cut to the heart after hearing Peter. And they said, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. High schoolers, what will be your response? Guys, don't take this as some hypothetical story way up in the air. Guys, this is a real story with real implications. And it is for you, for each one of you guys. Students, will you trust in this Jesus that you hear about week after week after week? And if you already believe him, will you make a decision right now to choose him again and again for the rest of your life? Because believing in him will change the way we look at everything else. Our fears, our worries, our doubts, our concerns, even our death will become smaller and smaller in light of his glorious grace. Are you guys struggling, maybe, as you start the new school year and whatever that way look like? Has a health issue come up in your family? Friends that you know that aren't good company and you're just struggling to try and pull away from them? Are you feeling depressed or like you're not worth anything? And guys, I do not want to belittle these feelings because they are real and they are hard. But I want you guys to know that in light of Christ and the hope we have in him, we can lay all those things at the foot of the cross because he alone is our refuge in life and our hope in death. Will you pray with me? Father God, this is our prayer. Father God, we would embrace this God of the Bible, that we would truly get to know that, Lord, you are the one that preserves us in life. And Father God, you are our hope for all eternity. Lord, let these truths, the truths of your word, the truths spoken, 
from David, Lord, rest and abide in our hearts now and forevermore. In Jesus' name, amen.